I'm listening to your neighbor's hood. You're listening. You're listening to Your Neighborhood, a podcast for uncomfortable culture conversation, specifically about race. With Hannah and Jackie. Hey, Hannah. Hey, Jackie. I'm up in the closet. <laughs> I'm up in the closet. Stick in this closet. <laughs> this- this could be like what we would have been doing anyway. Our work is relatively unaffected except for that we're in different closets, I guess. You got it, dude. Yeah, but some people went back to work though. This is true. And here's the deal. Not only did some people go back to work, some people are back to work and they're also in closets. And that is the new back to work. Mental closets. <laughs> so you pr- you propose this idea that the idea to talk about going back to work. Yeah, man. So you said to me that uh, you uh, people had started to reach out to you and say, "What do I do about this?" Explain that dynamic to me. Okay, this is what happened. There's this one week where I think I received two or three phone calls of people that had to go back to the office. And one person in particular works in like nuclear finance. Like there's this weird job where it's like, she's the only black person in the building. Okay. Like that's it. She was like, I'm not ready for this. I'm feeling stressed about going back to work. The other person was like, well, we're going back in the office. And should I talk about what's going on right now? Like, is it something I should even bring up? And then it was a bunch of, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, please don't be sorry. (laughs) Like, should I even bring this up? It was just a lot of anxiety about, do I have race conversations? Do I have police conversations? Do I have reform? Do I have equity conversations going back to work? And I'm just like, this, this is not news, right? Because we know when we have these conversations, people are always talking about the most the weirdest place to even bring it up is work sometimes. <laughs> so now you got it to where you can't hide from it at work. Everybody's, if you're the resident person of color or whatever, everybody's like looking like, uh, you going to say something? Or should I say something? <laughs> um, because from my pr- perspective, it would feel weird. It would feel very strange to not address it. But if you do mention it, it being weird because you don't know if that person wants to hear about it or wants to talk about it. I mean, it's a very strange licking a finger and sticking it out to feel which way the wind's blowing, you know? Um, And the the people who reached out to you were all BIPOC? No. Oh, some, some white then? Yes. And I was in a room of people who had completed a racial equity challenge and one of the big concerns was in this time I've done a lot of work on myself personally how do I take that and make it a part of my workplace culture how do you take the personal to the corporate and see some of these changes that you're enacting within yourself now it feels out of line with how I want to be and grow if I go into my work and things are same as they used to be same as it ever was yeah, it's so crazy that you're saying like it's 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 weird to not talk about it. What a time to be alive, right? Yeah. Where it's like 
it's taboo to not talk about race right now. Yeah. <laughs> at work. Whereas it was the total opposite before. Mm-hmm. Like people would rather have conversations about money, sex, and sometimes politics before they'd have a conversation about. <laughs> yeah, honestly, probably myself included. Race. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Oh, but the thing about it is, in the grand scheme of things, if we're talking about some old ace problems, right? Some old problems, race yeah. is like out of all of them. No, no, no. Money is the oldest. Money and sex are probably the oldest. I'm just, wait, yeah. let's just say in the history Religion, of America. Yeah. In the history of America. Race goes <laughs> back to the beginning. It's, it's <laughs> if you're going to talk about old. plans for your 4th of July weekend, you should be able to talk about race. But, you know, I think Chinga. it's really, for me, it's a lot about, I've had these conversations in my head all my life. I've had these conversations with a few people all my life, but it gets very uncomfortable when it's almost like the thoughts that you've been thinking. Now you have to throw them up against the wall and see if they stick or see, see how they sound out in a room. And I don't want to underestimate the weirdness of that moment. Not to say that it shouldn't happen. Obviously this is great news. It is happening, but it is a very strange moment where there's just still a fear of, if you only have so many interactions with somebody and something comes out in a way that you realize after it's gone from your lips that it's weird, you're worried that you have lost you've something in that person will have seen something in you and will shut down and you might have lost access to that. When you could realize that sounded weird coming out, you could apologize and it's better to talk and make those mistakes than to not talk. But that fear is a real thing. Yeah, I, I, I'm I, like you. I wouldn't underestimate how difficult and uncomfortable and even for some people triggering these sorts of conversations can be, especially at work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's like, you know, this is not um, gym class and we're not playing dodgeball. So <laughs> at right. some point, the company as a whole is going to have to take a look at some point the... You know, someone here at this moment in time has to say, are we a part of the problem or are we a part of uh, getting closer to the solution? Mm -hmm. I think it's a failure to not do that. Yeah. So we have some tips, right? I have some ideas of things that people could do, and that'll vary based on what your work environment is. Yeah, Definitely. It will definitely, I mean, for me, for me, it's sort of uh, before you even open your mouth, you know, hopefully you've taken time to sit with your thoughts, like you said, so that something doesn't leave thine lips with, mm-hmm. <laughs> with blood on them. Yeah, or actually, you could even practice if it's the weirdness of saying things out loud that you've been with in your reading or in your podcasting, then you can practice having those conversations with people really close to you before you start having them with people who don't know you as well and might Mm -hmm. get a bad taste in their mouth about you. Which is probably what you don't need at the workplace. (laughs) Right. And hopefully then having those conversations with people that are close to you can deepen your own thoughts. Yeah. Hopefully. So one of the first things I think is important, just based off of the relationships 
and the sort of conversations that I know I've had in the past is that I'm always hoping that if someone's going to come to me and talk about race, that at least they have some sort of path that they want to go on or like intention. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, a, a, do you want to talk to me for for the sake of arguing or do you want to talk to me for the sake of clarity or is it, you know, curiosity, like say what you mean, mean what you say, but also let me know what you're trying to say or mean. Mm-hmm. And, and and even in doing that, I found even asking like, so what is it? And I worked with this woman. I shared an office with a woman where I was like, she would ask certain questions. I was like, so what is it that you're wanting from me by asking me that? Whether it was something military-wise or gender-wise or parenting-wise. Like, what? okay, so what is your expectations? Oh, I just want to get a better understanding. Or I'm just being nosy. If you're just being nosy, then that's a conversation that we don't need to be having. <laughs> wow. You know what I mean? Like, then I can temper and say, you know what? Like, we're going to have to find another time or this is not a good, you know, whatever it is, it gives me the opportunity to give myself an out of a having boundary. that conversation. Yep. Yeah. Like, state, what? what's your intent? What's your motives? What do you want? Mm-hmm. Because those two things, you're if you're not minding your verbals and nonverbals, those two things can not match up. <laughs> mm-hmm. I before we go any further, did you apart from one on ones, were you ever part of racial conversations or was race ever a thing in any of your jobs before now, like before you started working in this? arena no one talked about it um and i i had one instance where we did i did not we didn't have the conversation with a as a group but a member of my team decided that it was important to call me and address something that he knew had happened that was so blatantly just like crazy. I worked on a small virtual team and I used to build instruction, right? Like design and, you know, e-learning on demand stuff. And in this one particular training, the two leadership, and it was for the military, the two leadership women were black women, right? So it had like, there's a this thing called a triad. So there's a top three people in a command that are in charge. And two of the three were black women. And um, the training was intentionally diverse, but more on the diverse side than it was on the European side. And the um, the client said pretty much there were too many black people in the training. <laughs> Not pretty much. That's what she said. Ooh, okay. So... I was on a team with another gentleman and we're building this and and luckily, you know, we're only on the call and in a classroom so nobody can see my face. No one can, you know, they can't. And I'm newer, I'm the newest person on the team. Probably I was like two or three years in the job and he called me afterwards and he was like, I just want to let you know that if you hadn't made that training all white, no one would have said anything to you. And I just want to acknowledge that there was nothing wrong with what you did. I said, I know. I'm just going to move them around. (laughs) I'll take these black women out of the leadership position and put them as spouses or as other positions. You know what I mean? But I had at that point, I 
it was a it was a choice of do I give the client what they want or do I throw a big stink about their bias? And I wasn't in the position to throw a big stink about it, but we did address it. Like the the lead and he he mentioned it to my boss. He's a, he was an older white guy and he mentioned it to the boss and the I don't know that there was much conversation about it, but it was really just like, huh. So that's the extent of race that I've talked about, you know, and he was a pastor. So he was always willing to have these sorts of conversations, just mm -hmm. the uncomfortable. But uh, mm -hmm. I don't know that there's been a job where we've talked about race specifically. And the military always does those dig um, diversity training and da 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 da. And so not being military, you say dagum. I'm assuming that by the dagum, you're like, it's lip service. Uh, yes, because it really depends on who is in charge of the program that oversees, you know, discrimination, harassment, and all that good stuff. It really depends on place to place who's that person in charge, which is why I think it's so important in this conversation to know that it does, like some of these things start at the top. <laughs> the culture yeah. starts at the top. So it, it just, it really depends. Now, in the military, I've had to tell uh, another sailor that what you're dealing with is racism. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I'm saying that in both ways. I've had to tell uh, a European-American girl, like, this is what racism is. <laughs> and mm -hmm. she's like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, she's I was like, this, that's what you're dealing with. And you're dealing with racism. Like, the, the black people in your shop have all the power across the board and you are being ostracized and you are being kept from duties and like really because you're white and most of the white people were being kept from <laughs> certain leadership positions so I mean from those standpoints as someone who's been a part of climate assessments and things like that I've had to talk about it but never deep conversations military-wise it's like okay we're looking at the overall climate of this this command is are these people doing their job do people feel safe do they feel this way so it's really just surface level we value diversity inclusion do don't don't shut people out blah 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 I have to just go back so are you saying that I thought do you think that racism can happen against white people I think racism can happen in any situation where one group has uh, more power than another and make mm -hmm. decisions based off of the way they look. So, yes, do I believe that? So the, if the question is, do I believe that black people can be racist, then the answer is I, absolutely, because that would that would assume that in every situation we don't have power, which is patently false. Right. That's completely false. I've seen that in local governments, right, where you got a black mayor, uh, an almost all black city council, black people at the top, and they are also discriminating against black people. Because, <laughs> uh, do you uh -huh. know what I mean? Those things happen. Like, I look at racism the same way I look at sexual assault. It's a power thing. Okay. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta have power. This is very interesting for me because I always thought that racism couldn't there's not reverse racism there's not no. racism against white people ever because when you take the bulk of the history of this country and you take you zoom out like so you could zoom super in and this could be a tiny situation like what you're describing but like in the grand scheme of things you're still white you're still getting white privilege you're still 
in that system and benefiting from it. Right. I mean, that's that's like looking at the difference between macro and microeconomics. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's the same it's the same difference if we're talking on a on a national stage then um, there's no way for black people unless they're treating black people a specific way to be racist with that when we're talking about our nation as a whole but when we zoom in to something like a department right mm-hmm. like a mm-hmm. department if all the leadership is black and all the majority of the people are there black and they're making decisions that says we're not letting that's not reparations right that's not <laughs> that's, right that's not how you get reparations when you have a company culture or a city you know a city to run or whatever that looks like if racism was something only white people could do then in the dictionary it would be defined as that it's not defined as that right like we define it as whether it's institutional, structural, or or whatever, we define it as this act of having power and discriminating against another group of people because of the way that they look. And we we all have the power to do that on a micro level, like mm-hmm. on a on a micro level. We all people have that. You know, I've in the military. I'm gonna just tell you straight up when it comes to like supply departments. And in in the military, the Filipinos run it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not to say that they're racist, but I've seen some things happen where it's like, yo, they're only going to look out for the Filipinos. Mm. But then I get to have the luxury of also being a minority because sometimes they'll look out for you, too. (laughs) Mm. You know what I mean? That Mm -hmm. that I mean, just just keeping it real is that. Yeah there's a way for us on micro levels to have power and then choose to use that power in a way that keeps other people that don't look like us from having power. Some people would be like, yo, that's, that's just us getting it back. But Uh if we're looking by definition of what that can be, and I even think Ibram Kende has something in his anti-racist about this model. Mm -hmm. Well, that, was all very interesting. And I'm going to really have to process a lot of what you said just then. I mean, it's not like anything is, it all makes sense. I'm not having any sort of negative reaction, but um, the last two work situations that I was in both had big time, everybody stop room full of 30 some odd people. Let's talk about race as it applies to our work and and how we move forward and i actually think from those two situations it motivated it changed my personal it actually went the opposite way of what what people have come to us to talk about today which is i learned something from those conversations or at least learned i need to go educate myself a little bit more about this or i need to chew on that thought a little bit more so i not to say that those were both very unpleasant <laughs> interactions. I think it was willingly brought up and willingly addressed, but it, it wasn't like everybody left the room smiling or at all. So it felt like it was a growing pain where we all kind of left in pain, but realizing the pain and actively wanting to find solutions for it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because the pain piece is real. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it to think of this work for equity to be separate from you and what you do is 
I don't think the right way to go about it. I think it should be a part of it because it exists everywhere. It should be in line with whatever it is you do anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to your point, it's particularly when people are taking these, just as you just said, when people are taking these conversations from inside their head or inside their inner circle and to the workplace, part of what I would always, what I would suggest is something you just said is like, you need to prepare yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's a little bit of work, just like Mm -hmm. if you're trying to get a day off, there's some, some, some stuff you got to do before you decide that, you know, things you got to prepare for before you decide to take that day off. And so when it comes to these dialogues, I think that that exercise that you just said, you know, I've been in these groups, I've done this, I've done that, um, is required to come into the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't even say like, I'm not saying like, you got to uh, do some gymnastics, like, the work that that I would deem as important. It is also the historical context of why we need to have these conversations, which I think enable people to come up and show up in a way that fundamentally we can say where it's coming from. And we're not just talking about it just because something just happened. Right. And that was not a one-off. And just because that was a really hot moment and already we can sense things cooling down mm-hmm. in terms of national passion does not mean that this is still not occurring all the time. Yep. It, yep. Absolutely. And also as a white person, I want to say that just because it's shocking to you doesn't mean that it's shocking for the world. It means you're just seeing it and getting shocked by stuff that has been happening. Yeah. Which sucks. <laughs> it just sucks. I felt that breath you just took. It was it was f- just frustration or not even frustration, just like ugh, like exhaustion, frustration, all the things like it's so much. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? What would you sort of suggest as someone's coming into these conversations from your point of view? Yeah, so I want to just say, so knowing your history, and that doesn't mean that you have to have read everything or whatever, but you can listen back to our last episode where we talked with history teacher LaShawn Jenkins and catch up on some of the things he mentions and just revisit it and make it a habit to revisit it. So I definitely agree with that one. I think that everybody could start by examining the policies that exist within their workplace take stock. So notice who is working. If you have a workplace environment that is all one race, that is not very, uh, all one gender, all one ability, any of these types of things, you can start by becoming aware of that and asking yourself why that might be. And then a lot of what I saw when I was looking into this was think about the hiring practices that you have and the process and notice where you're going to look for people and notice if your organization or company is doing anything to support the communities of people that you are looking to hire from. Are you just trying to take to bring on someone as a token something so you check off your box of having a diverse look for the front of your brochure or are you really creating an environment that supports those people that you bring on and does your workplace offer opportunities for advancement 
for these people that you're bringing in as well. If, if you are bringing them in. <laughs> Your face said bringing them in. Is that the right well, word? Well, sometimes I, you know what happens? Sometimes I, I get so stuck in the lens of like white people being in all white situations and then realizing that they have a problem with it. And then I give advice to that scenario. And then I am like, that might not be who's listening. <laughs> that might not be what the setup is of the office that's looking to change their structure. Yeah. I just a lot of times feel like, I mean, but the fact is that a lot of times if we're broadly speaking and pulling in the, if we're pulling in history, white folks have not been great lots of the time. So I, a lot of times have that (laughs) on my mind of thinking like, this is who we need to talk to, but. But too, but also it's, it's, it, it is in, it, it is those conversations. It is that, I mean, we're not painting everybody with that, that proverbial broad stroke of their work environments, but I think there's, there's some overlap in folks that are trying to come to this conversation about, you know, like, even if I'm the one, the token, as people would say, then I too am trying to figure out how probably sometimes to bring these conversations up because the people around me mm-hmm. are not looking. And then, you know, this is for the mm-hmm. other ones that are soul ser- other people that are soul searching. I would say I would even say too a good a good a good place to look at because you mentioned abilities, genders and all those good things is that like actually like take stock of your office place. And is mm-hmm. there a Polynesian person that works there that nobody even thought to think about like <laughs> you know, culturally mm-hmm. where they sit, like sometimes you get in the weeds and if it's not your job to do it, you're not really looking at or, or wondering about the intent or acknowledging the the dynamics of the workplace. On top of that, dynamics is who's who's got kids and who doesn't. Like there's so many different dynamics in the workplace mm-hmm. where we just deal with them and, and roll with the punches that that could be how we could be having some sort of transformational conversations about right now to include race. Yeah. The um, debate about whether to go back to normal or take this as an opportunity to say (laughs) in your words, let's burn it down. (laughs) Let's come up, let's recreate, let's make something new. So it is a real moment if you're examining equity to, to really fully examine what that means maybe we do business differently but that's a that's a a mighty big thing for people to hear so in our small steps it would be take stock of what you got yeah and consider why you want to bring this up so ERGs or employer resource groups would be a way to also create space once you have assessed things that are not happening in an ideal way, you can bring that to that group. And there is a channel for people to be able to voice these concerns. So basically, whether it's through that ERG or whether it's done in a different way that makes sense for what for your organization, there's got to be a safe way, maybe it's HR, or there's got to be a good way for you to be able to make sure that those perspectives are Yeah, shout are out heard. to the... the- Black employees at Xerox in the 70s that came up with, or in the 60s that came up with this. 
Yeah, so ah, that's what they yeah. said. That they had, they've been around since about the 60s when some folks at Xerox, some black workers at Xerox um, wanted to discuss the, the, the tension in the workplace. <laughs> and sometimes I think your employers are looking mm-hmm. for that guidance. Yeah. Well, this is the sticky part. There's a call to make sure that you're listening to BIPOC mm-hmm. in the workplace. But on the other hand, it's not maybe, depending on the dynamics and the structure of their job to fix everything for you so you don't want to lean on and say we've created this big mess now step in and fix it so there's got to be some sort of space for those concerns to be aired but on the terms of the people yeah and I think the people that have the ability to make it happen or have the ability to push the pace on it need to acknowledge that they don't have all the answers actually everybody every mm-hmm. damn body needs to say like we don't have all the answers period like mm-hmm. but we're working towards something and that's where it becomes a symbiotic and collaborative effort to move whatever that company that workplace ecosystem is to wherever they see themselves being so it sounds like everybody's got to bring their voice and their perspective and their needs, but they've also got to bring some humility. Facts. Because I'll tell you, even even as I say that, like, I know situations where it's like, I'm like, I ain't saying nothing because it's not going to change nothing. Like, yeah. y'all got it. I'll just come here to get my check and I'm good. Like, you know, yeah. like y'all can do whatever it Path is you want. Path of least resistance. Oh. Yeah. Well, because there's like a lot, there's enough going on right now. I mean, there's enough going on in people's lives regularly without a pandemic on top of it or concerns about job security or health and everything else that it would be very easy to just take the path of least resistance and in that case I would suggest that people hire (laughs) us (laughs) or someone like us what I mean to say is hire an outside party to come in and do some consulting work because if there are some sticky personalities or some people who are not all on board with this then hearing that critique internally might not yield the best result. So having someone come in from outside who can facilitate that conversation and facilitate those changes might be Trust is a huge deal. If if the people, if folks can't trust that, if they bring their grievances to the table, that it is something that will be taken as an opportunity for growth, then why why speak up? Because at this point, many folks need, I need my job, I need this, I need, you know, I need my benefits or whatever that may look like, or I don't actually, or I don't need this like right now. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. You know, there, the, if the trust isn't there to push the pace, but you have the opportunity to absolutely get yourself a racial equity and cultural competence consultant and like pull them in. Yeah. Because they are everywhere and um, this Boom. is what, this they, is what do. they do. And so then another thing that really stuck out to me is the idea of respectability politics. So the model of something being professional is built on white supremacist ideas. So that is something to yeah. really chew on. Yes. We're talking hair. We're talking dress code please talk about dress code oh my gosh (laughs) 
Oh my god! Can we though? I, when I became I mean, a civilian, so like I really love the fact that I did. I always wore a uniform for eleven years and never really had to think about it. But when I can, became a, a civilian, it was something that really like weighed on me, having to get dressed every day. And there were certain things I felt like I was I could wear, and certain things I felt like I couldn't wear, uh, just for sheer shape of my body. <laughs> mm-hmm. I had to. And I'm putting this in quotes, okay? Like, I had to dress like a white girl in order to... (laughs) You want to know something? Not to at all undercut your experience, but I got a job where I also (laughs) felt I had to dress like a white girl. (laughs) I mean, I felt like I had to... I know what you mean by that. I felt like I had to rein in my personality. Yeah, but that's... I mean, probably I would still end up dressing like a white girl because that's what I am. But, but I mean, industry standard, you know, in that particular yes, job, I felt like we're talking industry yeah. standard because we know what industry standard is right. for a working woman. And a working woman mm-hmm. does not include a working Indian woman or a working like that. Like I think about mm-hmm. all the cultures that I see that their culture comes through in their clothing. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. for any of those cultures. Yeah, it's time to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. It, it's time. It's complicated. It's intimidating. It's a lot. But when we kind of, this is a tough skill. And here's the deal is with skills that they can be perishable, but they're with a the hard work, we get better. Yeah. And you can also make this simpler for yourself by making the goals clear, understandable, and measurable. So if this is all feeling like quite a lot, because we've talked about a lot of different solutions, the way to fight that overwhelm is to think, what change could we make? What can I see? This will happen, and I will know we've made a step in the right direction. Do it from a place that makes sense for the whole. That means you got to be talking to the whole so that we don't have to worry about no micro macro aggressions or no miscommunication. This is an opportunity to be clear. You can fumble in your clear, but when you're really trying to do the work, you, you're going to fumble. You might, you might fumble sometimes. So do it together. As we go, the only thing that we want you guys to do in truly continuing these conversations like, rate, subscribe, review. Oh, well, that too. Are we going to say vote? Uh, that too. <laughs> Can you give them that? Can you give them that? Can you tell them that? Yeah, Anna? so I mean, like, like, do all these things at your job and in your world, obviously, but you must go vote. We're not messing around. Nope. There's lots of ways to do it. Look up the voting rules for your state, and you can vote early, and you can vote absentee ballot by September 13th but if If, you want to vote early if you want to vote by mail you need to go ahead and do that like yesterday go ahead and just get that done and I did it and it seriously took me two minutes and even if you get that absentee ballot you can still walk that to where you need it to go you don't have if you're concerned about the mail-in portion you can still get it there safely you can even take it in on the day and drop it off yeah till your registrar you can't drive it. So most places don't allow you to do it at a polling station, but you okay. can do it at your registrar office. However, if you need to know anything about where you are, if you are in Montana or you are in Maine, mm-hmm. okay, you can go to vote.org, get pointed to the right place or where you need to be. Point blank, period. You shouldn't even listen to this podcast if you don't vote. <laughs>
I'm just kidding. You should still listen, wow. but we also want you to vote. Get out. But if you if you don't, please do. Yeah. Like seriously, please. just please go vote. And after you've done that, like, rate, subscribe, review, because it really helps us out. It sure, sure in the heck does. But my ask, which is always our ask. Stay open, stay curious, take a baby step to betterment. And just go ahead and make it a great day, but closer to history. Okay, okay. Yeah, you got it, you got it, uh, we got it, we got it, uh, gonna go vote, gonna go like, gonna go rate, right, so I'm gonna talk to you when we get to work. <laughs> <laughs>